With Tesla Government's knowledge management solutions, you are adding a strategic partner that helps unleash the full power and potential of your institutional information. Let us unpack your data and put your knowledge to work. Learn more at teslagov.com. LC38brand.com, the civil affairs lifestyle brand. A little bit of something for everybody. T-shirts, polos, shorts, hats, flags, posters for your walls, and stickers for everything else. Items for citizen soldiers of USA KPOC and warrior diplomats at Fort Bragg alike. LC38brand.com. It's cool to like your job. who were uh, learning and demonstrating and instructing those tables for the first time. Doesn't get any better than that. Operationally relevant, meaningful activities outside of the Army Reserve Center. And I think that's the type of training that keeps our soldiers motivated to come back and continue to serve when that moment of decision comes for re-enlistment. Welcome to the 1C8 Podcast. My name is John McElligot, your host for today's episode, and our guest today is Brigadier General Chris Zubek. General Zubek enlisted in the U.S. Army Reserve in 1986 in field artillery. In 1989, he was commissioned through ROTC and entered active duty in aviation. He went through aviation over to an engineer battalion after he had resigned commission in 1996 and came back in the Army Reserve in 2001. From the engineer battalions and units, he then transitioned to civil affairs and has commanded at multiple echelons, currently serving as the commander of the 351 KCOM in California. Sir, welcome to the show. Hello, John. I'm a big fan of the 1C8 podcast, and I'm really glad to be here with you today. Well, really glad to hear of you as well. Um, I have the honor of serving under one of your downtrace units at the tactical level. And um, thank you so much for coming out to visit our unit. I wonder, sir, if if you want to share any details about your past experiences, what brought you over to civil affairs and uh, your civilian career, what you're doing right now? Yeah, thanks. So I have a uh, degree in political science and a degree in education. And so when I left active service, I began teaching in uh, Toledo, Ohio. And when I made the decision to come back into uh, the Army, I uh, looked around and settled on an engineer unit that was very close to home, had a young family at the time. Uh, my young family was the reason I had separated from service. And so uh, prioritizing close to home was more important than returning to the branch that I had served in on active component. Uh, so I became an engineer in Toledo, Ohio, uh, and then very quickly found the civil affairs unit three years later down in Columbus, Ohio, and served back and forth between those two units for about 12 years. It's been a really satisfying Army Reserve career for me. That's great to hear, sir. And the balance that you've been able to maintain with your family as well, uh, it's one of the big selling points for people who come off the active duty, but want to stay in the Army to some degree and balance what they have with their civilian career, going to education and, and having a family. So, Thank you so much for your many years of service as well. Yeah, it's been my real honor. Sir, I wanted to ask you about um, 
your role now is the 351 KCOM commander. And if you could please start by telling the audience about your command philosophy, your training priorities, and what are your objectives now leading the KCOM? So I've been in command of 351 since uh, November of 2021. And um, I had spent the entire pandemic on an active duty uh, operational support order in the Republic of Korea. And so when I came back to the U.S., I was real curious to understand, not having lived it firsthand, how the pandemic had impacted TPU, Army Reserve Service. And so I kind of crafted my, my command philosophy um, around that simple fact, uh, that soldiers had been disconnected from one another in person uh, for many, 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 many months uh, in our KCOM. And so if I were to uh, summarize my command philosophy, it would be uh, a team of teams. And what I mean by that phrase that I've lifted from a variety of, of sources is that within civil affairs units, a team of anywhere from four to seven soldiers represents most of our units of action. We are, of course, divided into companies, battalions, brigades, but within those units, uh, there is a team led by a captain or a major or a lieutenant colonel. And in the KCOM headquarters, we have 12 teams that are led by colonels. And every one of those has a span of control of one leader, two leaders, if you count the NCOIC, to anywhere between four to nine soldiers. Uh, and so what I want to do is refocus everyone on being accountable for leading that team. And if you're a team member, taking personal responsibility uh, for the things that distinguish us as soldiers from the, our fellow citizens. Roger, sir. Yeah, that span of control is uh, very reasonable for civil affairs units, much compared to, uh, I think, what you're doing, the engineer units. And um, that's very helpful to hear. Sir, what would you say about your training priorities or some of these objectives within those team of teams? So in the 351 KCOM, we are lucky to have really distinct active component partners in whom we are in direct support. So there are five four-star commands in our area of responsibility. They are the U.S. Army Pacific, uh, Indo-PACOM, uh, Joint Headquarters, and then in Korea, there are three separate commands, uh, the Combined Forces Command, which is a bilateral organization between the United States and the Republic of Korea, the U.S. Forces Korea, which is a force of about 28,000 soldiers, sailors, airmen, marine, and guardians, and then finally, a multilateral headquarters called the United Nations Command. And so of the five civil affairs planning teams, uh, that we have in the KCOM, uh, one per one of those four-star headquarters is our basic uh, support. And if you look all the way down through echelon, all the way down to company level, you'll see similar patterns repeated. And so we've been working, me and the two brigade commanders, to find an active component partner for each one of our echelon commanders and dedicate that commander's training program in support of that active or guard 
maneuver force headquarters. If the flag goes up, they'd be most ready to support that unit, but not necessarily they could go anywhere just for training purposes that would help to align with that active unit and know how they work and operate as well. That's right, John. One of the most important things our commanders and, and NCOICs can learn is how to integrate their team into the team that they become attached to. And while we can't count on an alignment that would survive the constraints of what forces are available when they're needed, if mobilized, uh, having that active component or in many cases that guard component maneuver force commander to train with creates those sets and reps of mission essential tasks and the uh, task and evaluation outline performance measures uh, that we need so desperately to practice in the live domain in addition to the warfighters and other constructive domain events that some of our planning teams and our liaison teams go to. So large-scale combat operations is on the tip of everyone's tongues right now, especially with the ongoing conflict in Ukraine and Russian aggression there. How do you see CA civil affairs forces supporting conventional forces during LISCO and in support of the joint warfighter? So large-scale combat operations, of course, are, are in the headlines every day in Ukraine. But the planning for large-scale combat operations and the training for it uh, is pretty well nested in our annual uh, slate of exercise assignments. So in addition to the combat training centers that every USAKPOC unit attaches teams to, uh, we have warfighters and in the area of our operations in the Pacific, uh, Korea represents uh, probably the, the scenario that is most amenable to practicing and training for large-scale combat operations. The range of activities that our units will face are pretty well outlined in FM 3-57. And in April of this year, some new mission essential tasks were added to the prescribed METs for the various uh, SRC MTO codes uh, throughout our regiment. In addition to those tasks, uh, we're also leaning forward on becoming better, more proficient in understanding what our brothers and sisters in use of KPOC in the PSYOP and information ops communities would do during LISCO. And um, I've charged each of our uh, eight battalion commanders and two brigade commanders to look for opportunities where our civil affairs practitioners can become more skilled and knowledgeable in those other disciplines as well. Thank you so much. Uh, we had the opportunity to hear from Major General Jeff Coggin, the Commanding General of USA KPOC, who you'd mentioned, and he presented what was called USA KPOC and Global Civil Military Networking in an Era of Strategic Competition. These were remarks provided during the 2022 CA Roundtable. Uh, this is also an episode of the show that we um, posted uh, just last month. But my question for you, sir, is as a KCOM commander, as a one-star talking to uh, larger units and brigade combat teams and higher echelon that, that your CA forces would support, what have you heard from them about the value added from CA troops? From four-star commanders all the way down to battalion commander 05s, each time I've engaged with them, they have, uh, in an unsolicited manner, 
either talked about their experience having really competent civil affairs practitioners present on combat missions that they've been engaged in in the past. And when we go to these training events, we demonstrate our value to help those commanders plan for and in many cases execute their mission sets. So there is a very real place for us uh, in their training programs. They rely on us increasingly in large measure uh, when they don't themselves have the time to train uh, their soldiers, the combat uh, maneuver MOS soldiers in the CMO tasks uh, that so many units had dedicated so much time to during the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. And so as we continue on this path, our force becomes even more essential as we represent that expertise that can be tapped quickly and added to their formations and then bring um, their soldiers uh, up to speed on some of the basic CMO tasks that every soldier uh, is expected by the Army to be able to accomplish. Rhonda, sir, are there any other areas where you hear from those commanders at higher echelon, uh, areas where CA forces are failing or areas in, in your interactions with them that you've seen where CA needs to shore up some training in certain areas? I would submit to you that we do a good job of training the tactical echelon of our force uh, because we have the value of a CTC rotation. We have a laboratory in which uh, a culminating training event that is as realistic as, as can be created uh, is made available. Where we struggle is in the operational and strategic level of civil affairs task application. And the reason we struggle, in my opinion, is because of the overhead uh, that it takes to properly man what the Army calls the higher adjacent lower the house element, sometimes called a white cell, that simulates during a constructive domain training event what a core staff is like, what a division staff is like, with precise type of treatment of humanitarian or disaster relief or populist control or resource control or civil knowledge integration. And so what, what we learned in Korea was that it's best for the staff echelon in those higher headquarters to dedicate time separate and apart from the programmed big marquee training event and um, try to create maybe tabletop training exercises that bring the community together with the proper stimulus to get after some of those operational level and strategic level tasks uh, that there are very few opportunities to train. So let me just state briefly a couple of partners in that regard. So in the Indo-Pacific theater, uh, we have an organization called the Center for Excellence in Disaster Management. It's headquartered on Ford Island in uh, the island of Oahu uh, on the, uh, the Pearl Harbor Hickam Joint Base. That is an organization that is particularly interested in tapping into our soldiers, not just for exercise support, but also for the delivery of their mission uh, throughout the force, which is, of course, humanitarian assistance focused. 
And then we're really looking forward to November of this year where the CFC, the Combined Forces Command in Korea, is planning a training event in November um, that's going to bring together the active component, reserve component, CA forces, IO forces, and PSYOP forces from multiple services and center on that particular theater's training objectives that sometimes don't get stimulated uh, when the focus is on uh, more of a maneuver fight uh, in phase two or three. So you started to answer the next question I wanted to ask you, and maybe you could add on to that a little bit, but the use of KPOC strategic plan talks about breaking down these silos that we have between CA psychological operations and information operations. You've already alluded to one exercise, but do you see within 351KCOM and, and your downtrace units that there would be more training on battle assembly weekends, for example, or other exercises between PSYOP, IO, outside of these CTC rotations? Yeah, so one of the things that we've concluded from pandemic operations is that we can get away from training one weekend per month and instead pool those battle assemblies into muta sixes and muta eights. And when we do that, we um, have greater opportunity to bring those different disciplines together and train on battle assembly timetables, right? So we're experimenting with that. We have the, the uh, luck of being co-located with 7th Psychological Operations Group. Uh, the POG is, is present in our headquarters building out there in Mountain California, Mountain View, California. And um, through that association, we're looking for opportunities to do just that. One of the places where that is really well refined uh, and is becoming systemic is in a USARC specific family of exercises called the Command Post Exercise Functional. USAC KPOC sponsors two of those per year, and uh, we have complete control over the scenario development for the exercise. And so we can really tailor the stimulus to the training commander objectives. I participated in one of those events uh, most recently in April where I was the senior trainer and due to the, the excellence uh, from KPOC staff, KCOM staff, POG staff, we're able to uh, really control the variables uh, and present a really good operational level training opportunity to um, 06 level, 05 level, and in some cases, the company level commanders, although m mostly just the HHC companies in that type of event. I want to give one more plug to an organization called GHOST. Uh, the GHOST team at the National Training Center has taken the information-related capabilities of CA, PSYOP, IO, public affairs, uh, and in some cases, Intel, and it's merged all those OCTs into a single critter team. So those of you who've been to NTC know about the Broncos and the Tarantulas, uh, the names that are given to teams that are formed of OCTs in a per specific discipline. Uh, so the GHOST team is the information-related uh, capabilities uh, OCT team, 
and they're doing really great things to stimulate the training of our company and PSYOP debt echelon forces that train at every rotation in the NTC. I've seen that in action. They're really good. They've learned a lot over the last 15, 20 years for sure. So a lot of lessons learned that have come out of those CTC rotations, especially NTC. As brigade commander, I think you were involved with one of these first command post exercises functional. So the CA, PSYOP, IO units are being better integrated going forward. Is there a room for NGOs, um, interagency partners to be part of that? There absolutely is. And in many cases, that has occurred. Sometimes we get the actual agency partners to participate. And other times we tap into um, private uh, organizations that uh, exist for the purpose of stimulating that type of uh, operational environment. And um, uh, there are a variety of those, those um, companies out there that offer that service. The CPXF that you allude to happened in January of 2017, and we had, we had a great group of people at that event. Fast forward to April of 2022, and the, the individuals who were brought on to stimulate the interagency in the 2022 CPX were, were 10 times better because they were people who were retired ambassadors, retired diplomatic security service agents, uh, retired and current members of uh, Conflict Prevention Bureau within the Department of State. Uh, so you, they really are able to give us uh, that proper stimulus that our units need to go out and execute their mission essential tasks or their supporting collective tasks to the proper standard with the proper stimulus. Roger, sir. I want to ask you one final question before we take a break. 351KCOM is aligned with Indo-PACOM, and that is home to 36 nations. Uh, that represents 50% of the world's population, 3,000 different languages, several of the world's mil- largest militaries, and five nations that are allied with the U.S. through mutual defense treaties. Uh, that's a lot. It's a lot for your team to cover. Uh, so some of the information and, and requirements come from higher, of course, but what helps you to prioritize the partnerships or the training exercises to which you send your soldiers? John, that's a great question, and it's a, it's a big question. I'll try to keep my answer concise. So I'll divide it into training for war and exercises as operations. So the theater represents more opportunity than I have soldiers to commit to it. In many cases, there are so many exercises that are focused on Uh, the delivery of humanitarian assistance skills or disaster recovery skills that my number one unit of action for USERPAC or Indo-PACOM is the 38 Gulf program. So within each KCOM, we have three FXSP teams, functional specialty teams. Each one is led by a, by a Colonel and they have, I believe somewhere between 14 and 20 uh, positions Uh, on the MTO in each one of those teams, and they're identical. We have a great leader for our FXSP 
overall team, uh, Colonel Brad Hughes, who I think you've interviewed before, and they do a great job of providing real experts in very small density that enhance the missions that they participate in in a really big way. And when we're able to demonstrate that competence in uniformed military personnel because of their civilian skills uh, to many of the partner nations, uh, militaries that those exercises revolve around, it, it's a really big influence on the overall campaign objectives for both Indo-PACOM and USERPAC. And then I would tell you, I'm a little bit biased. I've spent two and a half years on the, the Combined Forces Command staff, uh, and that theater, that now 70-plus-year alliance between the United States and the Republic of Korea, because of the closeness and because of the density of forces uh, serving uh, in the Republic of Korea, there are opportunities for uh, about four dozen soldiers twice a year. And the wonderful thing about that is everything we get to do there is directly driven by our mission essential task list and our commander's training objectives. And so I know they appreciate us being present because of the value we bring to them. But more importantly, I appreciate the opportunities that they present to us to do training at the operational and strategic level for my CAPT, my civil knowledge integration cells, and even my CMOCs that I can't replicate anywhere else. Sir, thank you so much. We'll take a short break and come back with our conversation with Brigadier General Chris Zubek, commander of 351 KCOM. Everywhere you look, there's a barrage of emails and information telling you what everybody has done, is doing, or plans to do, all in excruciating detail. But access is only half the battle. You also need information presented in a usable form. But that takes work, and the more information you have, the more work it takes. Tesla government takes on these issues so that your office or agency can fully exploit the data you already have. Our knowledge management experts organize and curate your internal data. Our open source research augments your knowledge base with strategic insights from our globally experienced team. And our data visualization turns complex data into compelling visuals, while our community building makes sure everyone benefits by leveraging collective knowledge. With Tesla government's knowledge management solutions, you are adding a strategic partner that helps unleash the full power and potential of your institutional information. Let us unpack your data and put your knowledge to work. Learn more at teslagov.com. LC38brand.com, the civil affairs lifestyle brand. Something for everyone. The world traveler, the civil engager, the warrior diplomat. We got t-shirts, polos, shorts, hats, flags and posters for your walls, and stickers for everything else. Celebrating the heritage of civil affairs, from the civil reconnaissance of Lewis and Clark through the monuments men of World War II and companies of Vietnam. Repping the present teams of the global war on terror, with items for citizen soldiers of use of KPOC and warrior diplomats at Fort Bragg alike. Collections include suits and shoots for fans of jumping out of airplanes and looking good, Pineland to remember your trip to the People's Republic, and Lewis and Clark to honor the two party animals who popularized huge DTS vouchers. You want Pipox? We got Pipox. New items all the time. Custom flags, stickers, and shirts? Send us an email. 
Follow us on Facebook or Instagram at LC38Brand or contact us at info at LC38Brand.com. LC38Brand.com. It's cool to like your job. for an upcoming podcast or know someone who may be a good person to interview, contact us at capodcasting at gmail.com. Welcome back to the 1CA podcast. And our guest today is Brigadier General Chris Zubek, commander of the 351KCOM. Sir, I wanted to ask you about the op-tempo of civil affairs. People who are serving the Army Reserve, people who are serving the active component, certainly understand that the op-tempo in the uh, in CA, in the regiment, um, in the Corps, can be higher than some other branches of the military, other branches of the Army. How would you say this compares to other branches you've been in, like engineer, for example, or aviation? And how do you see it impacts the morale of your 351 KCOM? So, John, I'll tell you, the number one thing that would stimulate the morale of many of my soldiers would be to receive an operationally relevant deployment mission. There's lots of opportunity for that uh, in terms of need, but as you allude to, there are also um, constraints with regard to the resources to do that. And so we do have a very robust set of training exercises. We have over two dozen named training events, but those training events are truly operational events. Uh, There's a a series of operations in the Pacific known as Pacific Pathways. It's a USERPAC uh, program of operations. And when we participate in those, we are engaged in, in operational missions. We also have a really important mission partner in the ninth Mission Support Command. Uh, That organization is uh, one of the Army Reserve organizations that reports directly to the Office of the Chief of the Army Reserve. Uh, They're a a separate reporting unit. Within the 9th Mission Support Command, uh, there are about a half a dozen separate units Uh, and they range from an infantry battalion like the 100th Battalion of the 442nd Infantry Regiment, which has a really stellar history and is unique in the Army Reserve, to engineer units to a maneuver enhancement brigade and a CA brigade. And so the 9th MSC is our premier partner so that we along with the 412th Theater Engineer Command and the 200th MP Command and a variety of other Army Reserve organizations that are CONUS-based are able to present to the USERPAC commander and staff uh, a real coherent way of accessing Compo 3 forces. And so as we look into the, the near future, we're excited about the opportunities for operationally relevant mobilizations that may be forthcoming to help assist both Indo-PACOM and USERPAC in the accomplishment of their missions. We also still rely on active duty operational support uh, missions, but those are mostly individual soldiers 
that apply for and uh, participate in uh, augmenting the, an active duty force. Uh, we have five of those soldiers in Korea. They've been there since late 2017, uh, and they're on rotational uh, orders. And so far, I think the other day I added it up, and we've had a total of about 26 uh, soldiers who have um, filled those billets since 2017 in rotational pattern uh, as individuals. They all come back to the force and they bring those experiences with them back to the force and then that makes our training uh, even better to incorporate their experiences uh, back into the staff teams uh, that they comprise in our formations. Absolutely, sir. I've seen that happen. Uh, a lot of value that people take from those experiences when they're going on an ADOS tour. And uh, I thank you for coming out to see the unit where I'm serving the 492C Battalion in Arizona. From those visits, from all the tours you've done with your downtrace units, what feedback would you say, sir, that you value from soldiers that informs your decision-making? I love candor. And I love getting into the formations and hearing directly from soldiers like you and I did on that Saturday morning recently uh, when I stood in formation with you. That was a, a five-day trip where I was able to combine visits to three of our units, so 492nd CA Battalion in Buckeye, Arizona, and then the 358 CA Brigade in Riverside, California, and the 426 CA Battalion in Upland, California, uh, where I, I got to participate in an airborne operation uh, for the first time in 12 years for me, 12 years since I had previously exited uh, military aircraft and um, in flight. And, uh, you know, when you, when you get shooted up and the airplane breaks, you get lots of opportunity to hear... <laughs> real observations from soldiers about their service. I, I would like <laughs> to recognize a unit outside of the KCOM who we rely upon enormously in the airborne community, and that is the 346 Theater Aerial Delivery Company in Southern California, uh, uh, more commonly known as a rigor company. An E-5 and two E-4s executed that parachute uh, support mission, uh, and they, they are outstanding. Yeah, your the life is in their hands. The date was 6 June. And so, of course, this, during this month, uh, when we celebrate the Army's birthday and we reflect upon the heritage of the U.S. Army, uh, being able to participate in an airborne op in Fort Irwin, California, on uh, June 6th, where D-Day holds a particular resonance for, for that skill that, that many of our soldiers hold as parachutists, was particularly meaningful. But um, being with soldiers when they're training, observing the training, and then being able to incorporate that into the decisions I'm called upon to make as a KCOM commander, right? So it's not new to the Army, but because of the pandemic, it's new to many of our formations this, this year, and that is Table 1 through 6, as explained in Training Circular 3-20.40, individual weapons marksmanship. There, there's a lot to dig into. It's a wonderful way of training soldiers. As a former attack helicopter pilot, I am particularly amenable to the table structure 
of building proficiency as you move through the tables uh, from low cost techniques up until the point when you get out on the range and you and you put bullets on target uh, as an individual marksman. So I got to do that with the 426 as well. After the jump was completed, we moved to the rifle range and uh, hanging out in the tower and um, hearing NCOs who were uh, learning and demonstrating and instructing those tables for the first time. Doesn't get any better than that. Operationally relevant, meaningful activities outside of the Army Reserve Center. And I think that's the type of training that keeps our soldiers motivated to come back and continue to serve when that moment of decision comes for reenlistment. Yes, sir. I want to go back to a previous position that you've had and how that relates to um, your position today. So you'd served as the assistant chief of staff, C9, for Rock US Combined Forces Command that you've talked about, and this is Republic of Korea. What did you learn about the Korean perspective on the civil human uh, dimension of land, sea domains that U.S. forces today and 351 KCOM should consider when we're planning our training or preparing for future fights in the Pacific. So what's that Korean perspective okay. on this and, and that joint combined uh, CMO? Then I'll tell you, the Republic of Korea, when you consider that question and you, and you think about it from a variety of different nations around the world, is unique. Of course, the, the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, DPRK, commonly referred to as North Korea, and the Republic of Korea, commonly referred to as South Korea, are Koreans. And we're one country and uh, have been separated now for in excess of 75 years, I think, in excess of 75 years. So they have, you know, uh, multiple generation perspective on national defense and uh, potentially unification or reunification of their culture back into one state. Without taking any specific opinions about how that gets accomplished, um, I will tell you that the Republic of Korea, which has been an enormous success story economically uh, just in the course of my lifetime, even since I graduated from high school, um, when, when the uh, Seoul Summer Olympics of 1988 occurred. They're now the 12th leading economy in the world. And um, they have task organized uh, in a way that allows for that economic engine to keep on developing uh, while being ready to defend their nation. And the way in which that overlaps with the civilian sector uh, has a lot to do with uh, how they structured their reserve force. And so we're expeditionary civil affairs, right? There is nowhere in any of our doctrine or plans where we are envisioned to operate in our home country. But of course, they envision operating that skill set in their country. And so that allows for some really interesting ways of task organizing between government agencies and the military and provides the opportunity for overlap in training among the interagency that I found really instructive and have tried to mimic as we plan our own training. And Roger, sir, thank you. Uh, I want to ask you about 
these exercises. We talked about Pacific Pathways. We got exercises like Rimpack, Balkatan, Cobra Gold, Hanuman Guardian, and, and on and on. The structure of the Army Reserve and the time that we have for battle training assemblies and maybe some virtual training or uh, larger chunks of in-person training that you're talking about for future um, fiscal years and being more creative in how we use that time and how we use those funding, uh, the scarce funding dollars. To prepare for these exercises, what would you say would be a good use of time for, for battalions or brigades to understand the cultural nuances of going to Thailand or Philippines? We've got a lot of Filipino Americans or, or Thai Americans. So the value of going maybe outside of the, the scope of a normal unit to tap into the community or tap into other resources to understand about these countries so that we go into the exercises well-prepared to understand more of the background that you knew from Republic of Korea? Uh, great question, John. So it's really about the planning conferences and it's about the assignment of missions by my echelon well in advance of execution. And it's about my subordinate commanders picking the individuals who will execute those missions well in advance and give them the opportunity to become familiar uh, without having to cram at the last minute or what happens in some cases of, of just not cramming at all. Uh, and then, you know, being an island to themselves. And the other reality is when we execute those training events at the rate of 14 days or less, gaining cultural competence is not, it's, it's not really achievable if you haven't already achieved it in some other way. And there are a variety of ways to get that accomplished, right? So rifle range that I attended on, on Wednesday of this week, as I introduced myself to soldiers and asked them for their stories, you know, I met five Vietnamese speakers at the pay grade of E5 and below, and they were all in their first term as soldiers, and they had been assigned at the company echelon and below. And so through conversation, they're now aware that they could use the language skills that their parents and their grandparents taught them and the degree to which they understand the culture of their ancestors' homes. And as they move through the ranks from tactical uh, CAT, uh, civil affairs team, to maybe the battalion civil liaison team or uh, the battalion planning team, uh, they can now be selected to go execute those missions and then um, continue to develop the skill sets of uh, CA planning and CA detailed uh, examination of an operational plan as we write Annex Gulf for that operational plan, right? And that's where that's where the blending of the cultural competence along with the MOS proficiency uh, really begins to mature. Interestingly, it's at that senior captain E6 level where often those soldiers are also facing the greatest strain in being able to achieve anything representing balance in their lives, right? So, so many times they're building a career, they're building a family, they're progressing in their military profession. 
so we had a really great conversation on that range uh, about balance and whether balance is achievable or if it should be better viewed in terms of priorities and knowing that you can take a step back and focus just on getting your professional military education completed and go for a few years without those operationally demanding training events or deployments in your life. And right now, the op-tempo in our unit allows for that type of dynamic. So, you know, I, I once made the decision to resign my commission. I did that because my wife shared with me that she was really unhappy with the, the op-tempo of moving around and being separated from her brothers and sisters and their families. So I prioritized my marriage over my Army service, but five years later, I, I uh, found myself in a place where I wanted to continue to serve. So I asked for my commission back. And I'll tell you, that was a hard path, and it probably would have been smarter uh, for maybe to take a knee in the IRR for a year or two get myself established in a civilian career, and then move on. One thing right now in the Army Reserve, we have these opportunities where you can, where you can do that. So I would urge everyone listening to, to know those opportunities and talk to your Raider, your senior Raider, talk to your supervisors, because you really can be a soldier for life. And I, for one, will tell you that it's been enormously satisfying over the course of the 27 years that I've been serving. So I wanted to close this conversation with asking you about recommendations for reading materials or something that people should be watching. For example, you talked about the Center for Excellence in Disaster Management and Humanitarian Assistance out of the, the uh, location of Hawaii. I know that they have materials that they publish consistently. They have a newsletter they put out so people can register for that. But what would you say, sir, are other materials that listeners, CA forces should be reviewing to prepare for their missions and tasks? Well, of course, John, the one CA podcast. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I will put in a plug for multimodal ways of learning, right? So um, reading, uh, there's no substitute for it. However, reading can now take the form of listening uh, with audiobooks and with podcasts. So, um, I rely on a couple of specific podcasts that give me a perspective on the Indo-Pacific region. Among those are uh, podcasts that are put out by a variety of English-speaking media on uh, Korea and the, the um, operational environment in the Koreas. Uh, I also am fond of listening to the Stimson Center and the CSIS China Chair. They also have a series of podcasts, and uh, it, it helps uh, to expand what I know about the AOR. And then I'll tell you, I've been listening for a number of years to commentary from other English-speaking, uh, my handicap, because I'm not fluent in a second language, so shame on me, but uh, Australian, uh, British, French, uh, Taiwan, there, there are a variety of English uh, language media in all of those uh, places that I pick up a, a great deal from as well. Sir, thank you so much for coming on the show. Our guest today was Brigadier General Chris Zubek, who commands the 351 KCOM. 
Sir, thank you so much for uh, over two dozen years. Thanks to your family as well. Uh, I wish you and your family the best, and thank you so much. Uh, it's really my pleasure. Thanks so much. Thank you for spending some time with us. Please subscribe and come back for another installment of 1CA. Until then, be safe and secure the victory. In civil affairs, your success depends on getting the right information to the right people at the right time. Whether it's foundational information for a team about to head out on a mission or putting together a map or other data visualization to brief a general or an ambassador, Tesla Government Solutions and staff can help. With Tesla Government's Knowledge Management Solutions, you're adding a strategic partner that helps unleash the full power and potential of your information. Let us unpack your data and put your knowledge to work. Learn more at teslagov.com. LC38brand.com, the civil affairs lifestyle brand. A little bit of something for everybody. T-shirts, polos, shorts, hats, flags and posters for your walls, and stickers for everything else. Celebrating the heritage of civil affairs from the civil reconnaissance of Lewis and Clark through the monuments men of World War II and companies of Vietnam. Representing the present teams of the global war on terror, we have items for citizen soldiers of USA KPOC and warrior diplomats at Fort Bragg alike. LC38brand.com. It's cool to like your job.